Crosspoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about Crosspoint, visit InsideCrosspoint.com. Morning, guys. My name is Will. I am one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. Like Reynolds mentioned earlier, Brad and uh, Springer are in Uganda. Brad's the guy who's typically here, so if you are new here, the guy who typically preaches, you missed him, and I'm sorry. Uh, sorry about that. That's just how it played out. This morning, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 30. If you want, go ahead and start flipping. I, I was pretty excited while the guys got together to pray this morning uh, before the service started. I was able to vox and talk to Brad and Springer. And just to give you a very quick update, they're doing very well. Uh, everybody got their bags. They lost one bag. It was a supply bag. Uh, n- nothing major, anything like that. But they landed... And then I think they kind of hit the ground running, and Brad had to do a little bit of preaching, a little bit of teaching and things like that, and he only got to sleep from like two to seven. And if you know Brad, he does not do very well with little sleep. Like by the time 8.30 rolls around, he's got like this little eye thing going, if you, if you spend any time with him. So I am, in maybe not the best of ways, loving the fact that he's exhausted and he's tired and I know he hates it and he's surrounded by Christians and people that he goes to church with. And so anyway, I, I have this, <laughs> this little, little bit of joy within me that that, that is going on. So if you do not have a Bible, if you didn't bring yours today, please feel free to use the one in the chair in front of you. Psalms is right smack dab in the middle of the Bible. Always feel free to use your table of contents, but depending on which Bible you get, if you pull one out of the chair, it'll either be on page 644 or 823. I've entitled this message from morning to morning. If you pay attention to the title, uh, from morning or weeping and distress to morning to, to the rising of the sun and hope and joy. And this is not like the typical psalm for me. Typically, I go with the ones where it's more like everything's bad, but you've got to grit it out anyway. And so I'm kind of excited to be doing something that's fun. And, and to be honest, if you look at Psalm 30, verse 1 begins by saying, I will praise the Lord. Verse 12, which is the last verse, ends by saying, I will praise him forever. So if I do my job, if I am faithful to the text, if you do your job and you're faithful to respond to it, all of us should walk out of here with thanksgiving and joy or a better understanding of how to praise God. Before we pray, if, if it's okay with you guys, before we pray, I want to give you just real, real quick two teaching points that I think will serve us this morning, but also whenever you spend time in the Psalms. The, the book of, there are 150 of them, and the book of Psalms is incredible devotionally. Uh, for, for your quiet time, your devotional time, when it's just you wanting to get alone with God, Psalms is incredible. However, and this would be teaching point number one, if you don't know where you are in Psalms, it can be a little bit confusing. Context is very important here. I'll give you an example. Um, Karen Ann and I went up to Atlanta. We had some adoption paperwork to fill out this past weekend. And while we were there, we went out to a nice dinner. Our kids were being taken care of, didn't have to pay for babysitting. We were at a time of Thanksgiving. Things were all, everything was good in the world. So we're at dinner and we're eating at one of our favorite restaurants. And about midway through the meal, the server comes by, super sweet. And as they're leaving, I go, hot. Now, depending on what you think of me, your mind is going to go in one of numerous directions. The question is, was Will responding to the server walking away like a punk jerk husband? Or did he just put a piece of broccoli in his mouth and not think it through first? Fortunately for me and for my marriage, it was the latter. But context matters. You have, to, you have to know where you are. And Psalms, all 150 of them, are broken down into either three or four different categories. Category one are hymns. If you want to flip along, explain this. Psalms 150 is a psalm of hymn. Everything is good in the world. The, the stars are out. It's beautiful. You got the promotion. Uh, you got the prom date, your mother-in-law is happy with you. Every, everything's good in the world. Everything's good. Your kids are obeying, they dress themselves. Nobody went to bed. Him. 
Well, then we also have these songs of lament, which is basically the exact opposite of the psalms of hymns. Now, why is it important to know this? Because if you don't know this, you can read the beginning of, say, Psalm 22, and you can start scratching your head and say, well, I thought God said he would always be there for us. But when you realize the psalmist is just being honest, God is just showing us the honest heart of us as people as we wrestle through living in a broken world. When we read these songs of, psalms of lament, it's the exact opposite. Everything's bad. Somebody's sick. Somebody's died. The little kid on the playground picked on you and beat you up in front of the girl you like. Like nothing is going. You woke up this morning and your bed was wet. But you knew you were okay. And then you see your toddler there next to you. And you're like, great, we're already going to be late. The alarm clock didn't go off. And now I've got to wash the sheets before I get to church. Like, you get the idea. It's a lament. Everything is going wrong. The third, and this is where Psalms 30 is, is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a culmination of God carrying people through those difficult dark times. Proving that It is worthwhile to have hope in God more than anything else in the world. And it is a psalm of just saying, thank you, God. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Your your faithfulness is apparent to all. And then I said three or four. The fourth category, and some people use it, some people don't, is a psalm or a song of confidence. And that's where you're in the lament, but you know God's good. So you're kind of like, oh, this is really crummy, but I know God's going to help me. Oh, this is horrible. So those are the four different categories. This morning, we are parachuting down into Psalm 30 from morning to morning. And this is a psalm of praise. The second thing, and I'm sorry, I'm going to go a little technical. Just imagine there's a whiteboard on here. Imagine for a moment, I know it's summer, that you're in class. I just want to show you something that I love about psalms. And, and it really has served to help me. If you look at Psalm 30, 30. And really, you can pick any one. It doesn't matter. Pick any psalm you want. You're going to see this. I'll just give you an example in Psalm 30. If you look at verse 3 and 4, everybody look down in your Bible if you can. This is something you can't get if you're just an on-screen Christian, by the way. This is one of the reasons Brad says all the time, we want you to have Bibles in your laps. There's just more in here than we can project up there. If you look between verse 3 and 4, you're going to notice something. There's a little gap. Do you see that? There's a little space there. You'll see another one of those after five going on to six. You'll see another one after seven. And you'll see another one after ten. Now you can go anywhere in the book of Psalms and you're going to see these little lines, these little open lines. That is called a strophe. And you don't ever need to know that again. But it's important. And let me tell you why it's important. Because I think it's cool, which may not matter to you, but I hate grammar. I don't get it. Somebody once told me that you put commas where you would take a breath. Somehow my writing either looks like I went for a jog or just woke up from hibernation. Because I either have these sentences that that like go on like Paul in Ephesians. They just go on for paragraphs and I don't know where to put the little things. Or it's like I'm winded and I'm like, and they're just like, I don't know. I, I don't know where apostrophes go. People who have S in their last name, I just don't like you as much. To be honest with you, the best advice I can give you when it comes to grammar is know who Robert Ward is. That's all I do. It's all I'm like, oh, I got to put this thing out. I better email it to Robert. And then it comes back and I'm like, all right. But I just just can't get it. I can't wrap my mind around grammar. All these people have written me like little notes like, Will, it's real simple. You just do that. I don't understand it. But I love strophes. So you got to get it. Like even for, if you're in here and you're a grammar dummy like me, you can still love strophes. And the reason is a strophe is like a paragraph in a story you're reading. And it's important to know that because the Psalms aren't stories, they're songs. And the reason this is incredible is because if I were to read Psalm 30 to you from verse 1 to verse 12, it could be a little bit perplexing. You'd start in one place and then you would jump off to the side and it would be like, oh, okay, everything's okay. He's giving him praise. Now, wait a minute. Why is he complaining again? Why are things bad? Oh, okay, wait. He's giving him praise. Is David schizophrenic? What is going on with this guy? It doesn't make sense when you read it, but when you sing it, and we're not gonna, but when you sing, all of us understand this. We just did it this morning. 
We sang songs. You sing verse one, then you sing the chorus. We're like, oh, it sounds good. Sometimes worship leaders start you with the chorus. They haven't even told you the story yet. You don't know what verse one, two, three, or four are. Here's the chorus. Here's what it's all about. But it doesn't bother you that you know the conclusion of the story before you even know all the details therein because you're singing it. And for some reason, that makes sense to us when we sing. But when we start reading, we go, well, uh, I don't get it. And so that's why the Bible has broken. That's why the psalmist, that's why God's word in Psalms is broken down into these strophes so you can look at it and get the idea. If you're a person who reads Psalms in your devotional time and you didn't realize that, I think it will bless you. It has certainly blessed me. This psalm is actually two songs squeezed together. Now let me pray and we'll read it. Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for all the people and all the churches that proclaim you to be Lord and Savior, who understand the gospel and who preach the gospel, who want to see people move from morning into morning. And Father, I specifically pray for our team in Uganda. Certainly want to pray for Brad and all the leadership training and all of the hopefully dozens and dozens of pastors who are going to be coming to hear him and be trained up by him. Thank you for what a gift to the body Brad is. Thank you for the rest of the team and their desire to just pour out into the people of Uganda, especially the children at the deaf school. Father, I I just pray that 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 little 10-day stint would do incredible things that echo into eternity. Thank you for safe travel. Thank you, Lord, that they arrived there with their stuff. But God, above all of those things, and they are important, and you are good in delivering Thank you that we as a broken, sinful people can wake up living in a world created by a holy God and have thanks in our heart. It wasn't our birthright. It wasn't what we deserved. It wasn't what we earned. It wasn't what you owed us. It was your sheer grace and mercy and love. And so as we pour into Psalm 30 this morning, may our hearts be filled with thanksgiving to a God who loves us in an incomprehensible, incomparable way. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, everybody look in Psalm chapter 30. Now, I just told you I'm not going to read it to you the way that it's laid out. So here's how we're going to go. We're going to look at verses 6 through 10, then 1 through 5, then 11 to 12. If that junks you up, I'm sorry. It's how we're doing it. All right. Psalm 30. And the reason is, I want you to see this as the story is unfolding. Psalm chapter 30, verse 6. This is a psalm of David. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Verse 1. So what happens? What happens next after this? I will extol you. We don't use that word. I will praise you. I will exalt you. Why, O Lord? For you have drawn me up. You've not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, from the grave, from death. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Verse 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and have clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Is that not incredible? I'm not a poetic person. My wife reminds me of this all the time. I try to be. I love spoken word. Propaganda is my guy. I don't necessarily agree with everything that he says, but I, I think the guy is incredible 
I'm not a poetic person, but when I read this, when I see the story of this guy and his pride turning his back on God, then God's saying, fine, if you want to go your own way, you're going to see what's going to come from it. And all of a sudden, just sickness and illness and enemies and death is encroaching. So he just cries out for mercy and God shows up and the rest of his days are about praise for God that is poetic. So let's look, because what what Psalm 30 does, and really what all of them do, is they paint a picture and they tell a story. The, The point isn't for David to say, hey, here's my life, don't you think it's great? The point is for David to say, here's my life and here's my God, do you not see yourself in this as well. It's, it's painting a picture and singing a song that all people would join in and that we would see where we exist in the great painting and mural of God's redemptive work. So what does the canvas of Psalm 30 say to us? All right, let's look in verse 6. As for me, I said in my prosperity when everything was good, I shall never be moved. This is a joke. He's not joking. This is really how he felt. But when somebody says to the most holy, most powerful creator God, I'm not going anywhere. Everything's really good right now. Everything's exactly as it should be. You want to know what I love about having kids? I think I understand God as a father way more. And when I go to write, like, when I go to write sermons, I'm always like, It trips me out because the more kids I have, the easier it gets. I think that's why pastors maybe have so many kids. If they run out, they're going to be like, well, now what am I going to talk about on Sunday morning? I legitimately wonder about that. I've never thought about it until now. But when my kids are out of the house, it's going to be a different thing. It's not going to be as fun. I'm going to be like, remember that one time when, well, it's just not as good. So I was like thinking about this as I was preparing the sermon. And then, of course, this morning, better illustration. So Ames noticed that I was wearing these socks, which doesn't matter. They're, they're, they're black and they've got little green triangles. Nobody cares except Ames has a matching pair of black socks with little green triangles because my wife does that kind of stuff. So Ames sees the little matching socks and that's it. He is no longer going to wear the Superman socks that he had on. Sorry, Daddy, you can forget about it. It doesn't matter that you can grab me and carry me wherever you want me to go. It doesn't matter that there's no way I'm strong enough to restrain you from imposing your will upon me. And, when he, and, and I was so proud of him for a moment. Because I said, Ames, go get your shoes. We need to go downstairs. And he turns and he goes to get his shoe. And I'm like, oh, obedience. Isn't that beautiful psalm of thanksgiving? It's beautiful. So he picks up his little shoe and he looks at me and he throws it across the room. I'm like, you literally went to more trouble to spite me. You little jerk. And when I read this, like, that's gotta be what God's thinking. David's like, I said, uh, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. It's not that you want to just, well, you do. For a moment, you just want to crush them, but you can't. But there is this moment where you're just like, but you don't. You've got to know that God, on one hand, has to be like, are you kidding me? And on the other hand, like, right? Because this is God we're talking about. James 4, verse 6. This is why, this is... This is why we read this in James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And David, just like you and I, has found himself in a period of life where he is filled with pride. So how does God respond? Well, he realizes it. God turns his back on David. And when God turns his back on you, things do not go well for you. Even the passing pleasures of sin, hence them being passing, go away. 
So that's why he says in verse 7, I realize that it was by your favor, O Lord, not by mine, not by my might, my athleticism, my wisdom, my wit, my looks, my abilities, my intellect. It's not by any of that. It's by your favor, O Lord, that you made my mountain stand strong. I thought I was standing strong, but it was only because of you. And I realized this because you hid your face and I was dismayed. Things began to go bad for me. So he turns and he begins to cry out to God. And in his crying out to God, we realize why he was dismayed. He starts by saying, to you, O Lord, I cry. To the Lord, I plead for mercy. And then he says something that can sound arrogant, but you have to understand a little bit about Old Testament culture to know that David wasn't being arrogant. I don't think many of us would quote David if we were crying out to God to forgive us of our son. In our culture, it wouldn't make sense. If we were to say, what profit is there in my death? How does that help you, God? What profit is there if I, if I die? If I go down to the pit, is the dust going to praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Now, none of us would say that because you, you sort of sound like a horrible person. You sound like your thought of God is that he's needy and he's like, oh my gosh, I just have to have your praise. If I don't have your praise, then everything's just going to go. God was fine before we were ever created. He was doing fine before there was a human mouth to praise him. Now certainly he created us for that. Certainly he finds great joy in that. But it is not as though God is needy. And it's also not as though David's saying, well, what are you going to do without me? If I die, now what are you going to do? That's, that's not what he's saying. When it says, what profit is there in my death? We, many of us, would immediately go to Paul in Philippians 1. If you look at Philippians 1, verses 21, here's what we read. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It sounds very different from David. David's like, I need to stay alive. Paul's like, I wish you'd kind of take me now. These people are driving me crazy. That's what he says. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I can't tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire, Paul's desire, what did Paul want? To depart and be with Christ for that is far better. I want to go home, says Paul. Paul's not saying what David's saying. It would be far better for me to go. But David doesn't say that. David says, it'd be better for me to stay. God, you kind of need me to stay. And it sounds like he does what maybe some of us did when we were immature in our faith and we make a vow to God. Now, God, if I don't die, if my enemies don't encroach, if my sickness doesn't lead to death, then I'm going to praise you, right? So, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. And, 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 and this is a game that, that we play. If you give me the job then I'll start having quiet times. If I get the promotion, then I really, really, I will, I will. If I pass that exam, I promise I'll break it off with my girlfriend because I know I'm not supposed to be with her anyway. If I pass this exam, I'm going to take it from you. That's my vow, God. If, if I do this, if I get a prom date, I'm, I'm going to quit skipping church. God, if you, if you'll, that went mine, by the way. I, I, I felt like I sounded more needy on that one. I had that locked down because I just started dating someone who was a lot younger than me. So I said, what about this? God, if you'll just help me get pregnant, then I, I promise you, I'll do this. You see, I, I don't think that's what David's saying here because I don't think that's healthy. I think what David is actually saying here is not, God, if this, then I will that. I don't think that's what David's saying. I think what David is saying is, please do this and know that I will praise you. Know that I will sacrifice to you. Because vows were common in the Old Testament. It, it was what they did. And usually, a vow that someone made to God was played out in one of two ways. It was, all right, God, here's my vow. 
if you're faithful, then I am going to praise you. I am going to give you thanks. That would be one. And then the other one was, I am going to sacrifice for you. I, I will make a sacrifice to you. Check this out. Look in uh, Psalm 54. Psalm 54 verse 2. So you can see what I'm talking about here. Psalm 54 verse 2. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. God, here's the deal. People are coming after me. Verse 6. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. God, if you'll get me out of this difficulty, I'm going to give thanks to you because it is good. I'm going to make a sacrifice to you. Very similar, Psalm 66, verse 13. Psalm 66, verse 13. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. Verse 14. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. Drop down to verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell what he has done for my soul. You see, this was common back then for them to make vows. And the reason is it's a different thing. When we make those immature little vows, what we're ultimately saying is, God, if you'll get me out of this, then I will do this for you. That's what we're saying. Our motivation is, get me out of my junk. That's That's not what David's saying. David's saying, don't send me to the grave. I want to continue to praise you. You see, our motivation is get me out of my junk and I'll praise you. David's motivation is all I want to do is praise you, enable me to continue praising you. It's a very different thing. It's a very different thing. And it, I'll give you a good example. When Jesus in Luke 17 is walking by, I, I can't remember all the context, he's walking by. And he comes up upon 10 lepers, skin disease, death sentence. He comes upon them and they say, just like we read here, if you remember, David asked twice, show me mercy in Psalms 30. Those lepers look at Jesus and they say, show us mercy. And Jesus tells them, go to the priest. And as they're going, they are healed. Well, what happens next? You see, the focus on that story isn't the healing. That's incredible, but that's not the focus. The focus is what happens next when one of them returns to Jesus. One of them comes back to Jesus and he returns to praise him, to fall at his feet. God did this incredible thing, so now he's going to turn and he's going to praise him. And Jesus says, we're not all ten healed? But where are the other nine? There was this expectation that when God did something big in the life of a person, that praise was going to pour out of them. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be that healed leper that goes back to the cross day after day, week after week, back to the people of God, praising him for the healing that he has brought. And it continues for the rest of our life. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be the leper that rejoices for a lifetime. Jump over all the way up to verse one now. What profit is there if I go down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Verse one. I will praise you, O God, for you have drawn me up. You've not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help 
and you healed me. Now, when we read this, and it talks about being drawn up. If you look in verse 3, you've brought my soul up from Sheol or from death. If you look in the next part of verse 3, you've restored me to life among those who go down to the pit. That's similar to where we get our phrase that he had one foot in the grave. In other words, David's situation was so dire that death was encroaching upon him. That's why just a second ago he said, will the dust on top of my grave praise you? Because his situation is so bad that death is right there. And then all of a sudden these enemies appear. See, we we, we don't know anything about this until we read about these enemies in verse 1. Don't let my foes rejoice over me. Well, which is it, David? Are you sick? Or are there enemies coming after? It's both. He was a king. And when he was sick, the people around him, the people opposed to him would try to take advantage of that. Now here's the reality. None of you are kings. None of you have armies, hopefully. None of you wake up and look outside your window to the castle wall that surrounds it and say, ah, the wall is still intact, all is good. None of us do that. But when we're sick, When we're emotionally worn down, our enemies aren't enemies that sit on the other side of the wall. Our enemy is the dead man of sin that we carry around with us everywhere we go. And you know that it's true. If you're a stay-at-home mom and you wake up with a headache, it's either going to be an entire morning. I'm assuming this. I'm not a stay-at-home mom. It's either going to be, I, I, have, I, I, I live with one. It's either going to be a morning where you are constantly killing that sin that just wants to live like I deserve something. I deserve this. I expect this. And to live this sacrificial Christ-like life while you're feeling sick with a headache and you're irritable and everything else. It's, it's going to be a battle or it's just going to be a, just, just, like just sin starts pouring out of you. And you're like, well, my kids are going to learn about sin. Today's going to, today's going to be an educational day. They're going to more know their need for a savior after the end of the, and it's the same for all of us. When we're sick, when we're injured, whatever it is, it's like our irritability rate just goes, and it doesn't matter. Like some guy's waving at you, driving by, and you're sure that's not what he did. And you're just like, I'll go when I want to go. Why do I keep getting yellow lights? Like, like, that's how our world works. When we're sick, when we're irritable, our spirit responds the same way. We have to fight that. And that's what David is dealing with in a much bigger way. The, I, get, um, I get real bad mouth sores. Which, like when Paul prays about the, the, uh, the thorn in his side, if y'all know what I'm talking about, he prays that God will remove this thing and, and God says he won't. I'm not kidding when I tell you a little piece of me thinks he just got really bad mouth sores. Because his business was talking and preaching. And when you've got five mouth sores at a time and every word you say just hurts a little bit to come out, it makes it really hard to do that. I know that you may not care that much, but for point of example, three nights ago, I'm reading a Bible story to my kids and never does this. Every line is just driving me crazy. And all I want to do is say, you know what? No Bible story tonight, kids. Mama's going to pray for you. Daddy's going to to get something really cold to drink, and he's going to watch Netflix, and my responses to my wife will either, either be, mm-hmm, 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 it's for the rest of the night. That's what I wanted to do. But I fight. Like, I know it sounds silly, but I really did. I fought to get to the end of that Bible story. And I was like, oh, I did it. I did it. I'm still a good dad. Yay. You know what Ella said next? Hey, Daddy, let's read one more. <laughs> Never does that. He's always content. But on that day, when I'm literally praying as I'm flipping through this Bible story book, which is not that big of a deal, but it's important. I'm flipping through. I get to the end of a story, and he says, Daddy, can we have another one? And on the inside of me, I'm like, are you kidding? And I wasn't, I wasn't thinking that to Ellis. I thought that was beautiful. I was thinking it to God. I was thinking, you've got to be kidding me. You know I love my kids. You know I want to point them to Christ. But why tonight? 
Why? Because God receives glory when we fight through our difficulties, our sin, our brokenness, the pain, the enemies that encompass, uh, that encompass around us, and all of the things that this broken world just lavishes in front of us for the greater glory of living a life completely submitted to God. That's why. Verse 4. Sing praises. This is my favorite part. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. I love this verse, because what David has done is he's taken this personal experience. And this is normal. This is how it's supposed to be. God doing something in your life is extraordinarily personal, but it's never private. This is a family Not because we all walked into the same building, but because for those of us who have repented and trusted in Christ, our hope is all tied into the exact same thing. That's why our team can be in Uganda and have better relationship with the Christians there than some of their aunts or uncles or blood cousins here because they're more common in their hope, in their trust, and in their perspective of this world. David, in praising God, refuses to make it individualized praise. He says, no, 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 no. Verse four, sing praises, O you, his saints. You wanna know what's incredible about this? If you look at the heading to this chapter, chapter. Not the heading that, uh, that our people wrote in, joy comes with the morning, but the other one, the one that says a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. David didn't even live to see the temple. He didn't. He didn't make it that far. God told him he wasn't the guy for that job. But this psalm was written as a dedication for the temple. How incredible is it that David says, God, extend my days that I may do what I was created to do and praise you. And then in the extension of that, he writes a psalm so that while he is dusty in the grave, he is still praising God. That's poetic. That's beauty. And he looks and he says to people he can't even see because he's dead. He looks through his psalm, through God's word, and he says... Sing praises with me. Sing praises of how, God, how good God has been with me. This was how it was always supposed to be. Praise was meant to be done in community. Psalm 22, real quick, in verse 25. Psalm 22 From you comes my praise, where? In the great congregation. For my vows, sound familiar? For my vows, I will perform before those who fear him. What were my vows? That I was going to praise you and that I was going to sacrifice to you. But I'm not going to do it just by myself in some little corner. No, I may pray in my corner, but when I am praising God, it will be displayed for everyone to see. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. And then he says something really neat. The afflicted, the sick, because I remember when I was sick. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. Awesome. Why is David trying to get people to eat food though? What if I walked into this place and I was like, hey guys, God was really good. I got a bunch of raisin cakes. They're going to pat, ushers, if you would go ahead, just begin passing out the raisin cakes. David did that before. He passed out raisin cakes. And he didn't pass them out to like the people who showed up to the 10 o'clock service. He got, and he's a king. He can do this kind of stuff. He gave everybody in Israel a raisin cake. Do you know how crazy that is? Everybody in Israel needs one. All I can think of are little Debbie snacks. Like, how does that even work? How do you get enough bakers to make these little raisin cakes so that everybody gets one and the first person who got one compared to the last isn't all like, 
And the last one's like, oh, moist and lovely. We should praise God. And the first guy's like, come on, right? Like, how does that even play out? But David realized that praise was to be done in community. The fulfillment of this vow. Okay. We're going to go to the book of Leviticus briefly. I just... I know that's not necessarily common. We're going to the book of Leviticus. Why is David telling them to eat? Because God has done something good in their life. Leviticus chapter 7 verse 13. Why is it that the people of God made vows to God, not like our selfish little vows, but these incredible, I'm going to bring the community in because of the goodness of God vow. Verse 13 in chapter 7. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. Verse 14. And from it, he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the the peace offerings. Verse 15. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. Here's how it used to work out. When God did something big in the life of a person, they would praise him and they would praise him publicly. And they would fulfill that vow of praising him and praising him publicly by sacrificing to God. But it wasn't the kind of sacrifice where you get a bull and you put it on a rock and the whole thing's burned up. That's not what it was. Whether it was a bull or a goat or a ram or whatever else it was, whatever was put on the altar was cooked and it became a banquet feast. And this is what was beautiful about it. If, if there was somebody of wealth that God displayed goodness to. When they brought their offering, it was of such a value that everyone was invited in to partake of the feast of the meal of God's goodness in that person's life. Which meant that the poorest in all of Israel, who never could have eaten goat meat or bull meat or whatever else it was, on that day, they met with the congregation and they feasted until they were full on the goodness of God. I, I don't even know how to do that, but I want it so bad. That I, I want, please, if one of you does this, I want the invite. It would just bless me. What if, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying this as a joke. Legitimately consider this. Because this isn't Will's idea. This was God's idea. This was how it played out. Imagine if the next time God answered a significant prayer in your life. He said, God, thank you. Praise you. Thank you. I'm going down to Bert's Butcher Shop and I'm getting a dozen steaks. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to invite 12 of my friends and they're all going to come over and they're going to have a steak. And you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, hey, why out of the blue did you just invite me over to your house and expect me to bring no money, no side dish, no nothing to enjoy this really good meal with you? And you say, let me tell you why. Because for four months, for four years, for 40 years, I've been praying that God would do this and he did. And I want to celebrate it. And I don't want to celebrate it alone. I want to celebrate it with you. Because your God is my God. And you may be praying for something. And I want you to have hope that God answers our prayers. I want that. I don't know how it works today. That's my best guess. But I want that. And that's what God built us for. It was never meant to be private. We... My kids, I think, are a lot like me. English isn't our thing. We love math and science. So one of my kids is really into science. And when I say that, the other ones are like, so are we. And I'm like, you don't understand what's happening. But okay, you're really into science too. So Bill Nye, the science guy, all the seasons just came out. I know, evolution, he's not a great... Okay, it was my childhood, okay? Deal with it, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll come in 
with a little asterisk at the end of the episode. But I grew up watching Bill Nye the Science Guy. So my kids were watching one of the first episodes of Bill Nye the Science Guy. And they were doing the one that talks about how when light goes through a lens, it can be moved. It can be directed. Maybe you remember this. Maybe you don't. If you know where commas go, you probably don't even know what I'm talking about. And that's okay with me. But what actually happens is light moves in a direction, but when it hits a lens, like, uh, like in, your gla- in your glasses, when it hits a lens, you can direct that lens and it'll move the light in different places. That's what our praise is supposed to be. All we're supposed to be is a lens that focuses people's view of us and shoots it to the cross. That's what we do. So what David is doing here is he's saying, I was sick, death was at my door, my enemies encroached around me, but God knew all I wanted to do was continue to praise him for the rest of my days. So God showed up. So everybody come on out. Everybody come to this feast that's being prepared because I promised God that I would praise him, that I would sacrifice to him. Now all of you come in and when they look at him, he, he turns his life and his soul into this lens and they're not looking at him or his wealth or his greatness, or what he can provide for them, or do to them. It's not about him being proud. That's how he got into this situation in the first place. When people look, all he's doing is building this lens in his life, so that when they see him, it redirects it to the cross. That. If you're a believer, and I'm not assuming everybody in this room is a believer, but if you're a believer, that's what your life is supposed to be. And you're like, yeah, okay, I get that, thank you. But do you realize that's what your praise specifically is supposed to be? Your praise to God is not supposed to be about 30 minutes when you walk in a couple of doors in here and we've got all these wonderful musicians playing. That's a piece, that's a component. That's one puzzle piece in the grand design of what praise is to God. Your life is supposed to be praise. Our life is supposed to be saying, God, thank you for this and I praise you for this and I glorify you for this and I'm gonna do it in front of this person and I'm gonna do it in front of that person and I'm gonna do it in front of this person. Because I want them to know how great my God is. Because you are the best part of life. And the thought that anyone would miss out on that breaks me. Extend my days that I would be able to show people who you are. I want to move on. I just, I don't know how to make that happen. I, 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 but I feel like it's a truth that our culture just either doesn't understand or doesn't care about because it's not easy and it's not convenient. Because generosity is hard sometimes. Because looking to God makes you different because you don't want to be the weirdo? I, I don't know. When I look at my own life, sometimes I think it's just that I don't appreciate God enough because I see myself too big. Maybe that's it. Maybe we see ourselves too big when really we're the little kid with a shoe throwing it across the room. And we need to realize that God got us those shoes. And the clothes that are on our back and the house that we live in and the car that we drive and the person that we sit next to or the hope of the prayer for the person that we sit next to in church. Let's drop on down. Verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. This is a psalm of thanksgiving, but that doesn't mean that everybody who walked in this room walked in saying, hey, I'm in a mood to give thanks. The reality of it is many times we're not in the mood to give thanks. And that's why we have to pray that God would turn our heart to have it in a right place before him. And so that's why he says, he kind of makes this analogy, right? Like, his anger is for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. 
And that's true of us. God's anger is for a moment. If you don't believe God's anger exists, you don't really understand sin. I'm sorry, you don't. And you need to. All of us, at some point, deserved God's anger. All of us did. And I know this because that anger was placed on Jesus. But it wasn't placed on Jesus for eternity. He's not still on the cross. He's not still in the grave. He's risen. And not only is he risen, he's seated at the right hand of God. His anger was for a moment. But the joy, his favor, is for a lifetime. And then it goes on. The weeping may tarry for the night. Is this you? You got to know where you're at. Are you weeping? Are you in darkness? Are you in a hopeless place right now? Weeping may tarry. It may linger for a night. But joy comes in the morning. When you're in the dark, it always feels like it's forever. I I was driving home once from Mexico because Stokes was getting married and flying, that just wasn't going to happen. And so Karen Ann and I, because we love him so much, he's not even here this morning, because we love him so much, we drove from Matamoros, Mexico to Columbus, Georgia in one stint. I stopped to go to the bathroom, buy slushies, beef jerky, and sunflower seeds, and that was it. Bathroom and those things, and I just, I kept going. I got 15 miles under the belt, and then like any other guy, I was like, I can handle this. I got another 11 hours in me. And I literally, I remember, hands on the gray uh, steering wheel of my Suzuki. I remember driving down a straight road. What in Louisiana, because I wasn't doing this. Straight road. (laughs) Watching the moon pop up on one side, walk all the way across the sky. If you think a watch pot doesn't boil, watch a moon. Just decide, you know what? I'm going to go watch the moon today. It was horrible. I'm like slapping myself to try to stay awake. I'm rolling down the window. I'm doing everything that I'm cranking music really loud. I'm like trying to get, I'm just trying. How am I going to get through this night? That's what this is talking about. It may not be as fun as driving from Mexico to Columbus, but when you're in a dark place, it feels like forever. It's like, when is the moon going to set so that the morning will show up? When's it going to happen? But if you are a follower of God, you can know that morning always comes. It always comes. Do you ever wonder why it was dark when God created everything? It didn't have to be. It's from eternity past. God can do whatever he wants. He could have walked up on the earth and the light's already been turned on. But it wasn't. Why? Because the grand narrative of God's redemptive story is going from darkness, eternal darkness and chaos, to eternal light and peace. And you and I happen to live in the middle of that where it's light and then it's dark. It's light and then it's dark. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. But there will be a day when the sun doesn't set anymore. When all the darkness is swallowed up. So Christian, if that is you, believer, if that is you, you can have hope. If you want to have an if-then statement with God, this is what it should be. If you trust in Christ, if you have repented of your sins, if you are sanctifyingly trying to walk by the power of God's Spirit for His glory, then heaven is yours and the morning is coming. Doesn't matter where you are in life right now. That's an if then you can play out. If you are right with God, if you are seeking him with your heart, then the sun will rise. Doesn't matter what's going on in your world. And that elicits thanks. And it doesn't matter how bad it is. That word weeping in verse 5 is the exact same word that we take out of Esther when the whole nation finds out that they're about to be murdered. The whole nation. Everybody you know, everybody you love, exterminated. That's the word weeping. Might I submit to you that none of us have a, a, a weeping quite like that by the, by, the, by the grace of God being born in a place where we can worship Him freely. Verse 11 and 12. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me. We don't even look the same when we live lives of praising God. 
You've turned for me my morning into dancing. You have put clothes on me. It's a great illustration that I think about it for my kid this morning. God is the one that clothes us. That my glory, that my spirit may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And if you haven't seen the gospel in this psalm yet, it explodes here. Because we don't clothe ourselves in praise. God does. We don't draw ourselves up from the pit. We don't draw ourselves up from the grave. An exchange was made. Another one went down to the pit for us that we could be retrieved from the pit. And the retrieval of us is what elicits praise and glory to God. So full is his forgiveness for those who repent and trust in Christ. So full is his forgiveness that we are clothed in it. I'm going to close with 25 real quick applications. Here we go. Number one. There are four if you're a note taker. Application number one. How do we live as people going from morning to morning? Number one, know where you are today. Know where you are. Are is it, is it night in your life right now? Then have hope. Has morning dawned? Then give God thanks and continue to give him thanks and can give, continue to give him thanks until night hits. And when night does hit, then have hope until morning dawns and you continue to give thanks. In Luke 7, Jesus turns to Simon Peter and he says, Peter, I got a question for you. This guy owed 500 bucks. This other guy owed 50 Both of them had their debts forgiven. Tell me which one of them appreciated it more. And Peter says, well, I don't know, Lord. I guess the one that had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus said, you nailed it. Those who have been forgiven of much will praise much. They will respond much. If you aren't able to praise God, if you aren't in a place where you can praise God, you need to be able to put a question mark on whether or not you are right with God. Because it's not just about knowing where you are today. It's about knowing where you are in light of eternity. And if it is dark today, but you are a believer, you know that eternal morning is coming and you have something to be thankful for. Know where you are in light of eternity. Our praise is fueled by the greatness of our rescue. Our praise is fueled by the greatness of our rescue. And if you don't feel like you've been rescued from much. You don't understand sin. You don't understand the holiness of God. Point number two, fulfilled hope in God is incomparable. There's, his anger is for a moment and his joy is for a lifetime. It's not even worth comparing the difficulties of today to the eternal joy of being with him tomorrow. That should cause us to praise. Fulfilled hope in God is also inevitable. It's gonna happen. God will receive praise. His desire is that he would receive praise from you who he created for it. It is inevitable mourning, eternal mourning will come. Number three, Praise is valuable. One, it's valuable to God. Uh, I'll read this. You don't have to flip there. This is Psalms 147. It's just, it's beautiful. Psalm 147 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Why do we praise God? Because it delights him. Because it puts a smile on his face. Because if he is truly the biggest, most important thing to us, then there is no one else that we would rather please than him. But secondly, praise is valuable to us. It changes the way we look. It changes the way we live around one another. Praise is valuable because it redefines and reorganizes your soul. Finally, 
We are to praise God in community. To do this, you must live in community. Now, in this, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes when I say this, but when we get together as pastors and we pray down the membership sheet, there's name, community group, and then need. That's how we pray for all of the members in the church. We get together every Tuesday. We pray through a sheet of that. I'm not saying you have to be in a community group to be in community. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you can't just show up on Sunday morning and be in community. You can't do that. And when I look down, whether it's young adults or a Bible study or a Sunday morning fellowship or a community, you've got to be in community. You've got to know people's lives and people have to know your life if you're really going to praise God the way that he is calling you to praise him. You have to be, and there are, there are too many empty, empty columns in our church when it comes to community groups. There are too few for us as a church to actually be living that out. If that's not for you, if that doesn't convict you, fine. That doesn't junk me up. But if the shoe fits, wear it. Get involved. Get plugged in. The board's right out to the right. We are to praise God in community. To do that, we must fight selfishness and jealousy and truly rejoice. We can't look at somebody have, that God has done something good in their life and get jealous about it. You, what do you do if you're praying for a husband or a wife and your best friend gets married next weekend? You praise God for it. And you kill that little selfish, jealous sin in you that will kill your joy and will eventually destroy you. That's what we do. We praise when it's hard. The same thing is true for any of our circumstances. You're trying to get pregnant. And you've been trying for a long time and you're going through fertility and all of these types of things. And you have a friend who just keeps having kids. What am I supposed to do about it? You praise God with them. That's what you do. Because your life and your soul is not built in this world. It's built in the next. We're to praise God in community by being generous. Buy the stakes. Do whatever it takes. You, whatever God, and you guys are really good at this. So many people are like, Will, please use our pool. Will, please come over. Ha, ha, have the students watch a movie. Will, come, come out to our land. You can have an event. Will, come on. You, can do it. you guys are great at this. Be generous. Remember, the lens isn't pointed at you or your stuff or what you have. It's pointed at saying, God, thank you for the gifts that you have given me. Now, all I want to do is point people to you. Continue to do that. Continue to be generous. Find ways, especially if that's something. And then finally this, we are to praise God and community to be a lens that points to Christ. That's what our lives are about. That's what praising God is about. Whether it's a believer sitting next to you now, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's the person you work with, whether it's the person that you play tennis with or whatever else it is, every bit of praise that you have is intended to cause other people to see God. In just a minute, we're going to, uh, the band's going to come up. In fact, Paul, if you want, you guys can go ahead and come up. And we're going to have communion as a family. Communion is about us praising God for the goodness that he showed us in drawing us up from the pit that we just read about. So a couple of thoughts as we come to communion. First of all, it's a family meal. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, we don't want you to feel left out. It just doesn't make sense for you to be a part of this meal. You're not a part of this family. If you want to become a part of this family, if you want to become a believer in Christ, then by all means, find somebody in this room that you know is a Christian. Find one of the pastors and we would love to pray with you. But for those of us who are believers in this room, whether you're sitting on that side, the middle, or over here, as you go to your special little table right? It is us as a group coming together to praise God. That's why we hold it to the end, because it's not some individual thing. Does God do individual things? Yes. It's about us as a congregation praising God with this little semblance of a meal that we call communion for the goodness that God has done. Let's pray together. Ushers, if you would go ahead and come on down. 
Father, in this place right now, wherever we are, wherever individual people are, whether it's night, whether they're having hope, whether morning has dawned, whether they're praising you, whatever else is going on in the lives of your people, I pray that by looking at the truth of your word, it would cause us to give thanks. It would cause us to praise you. One, because we were built for it, because our lives were made for it, because it gives you glory, because it causes you to have delight in us. Father, praise is what we were built for. Father, I pray that now you would bring to mind all of the many things that you have done for us. Certainly there are material needs that are met, relational needs that are met, praying for healing and disease and brokenness that, that you have burst onto the scene and handled. Father, it's inevitable that we will go from morning to morning. I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that when people look at us, they would see us praise you. And not just in a sanctuary. Not just when music's being played, but that our lives would be about looking for opportunities to praise God for all the good things He has done. For indeed, we will do that forevermore in eternity. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Christ's name, amen.